Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask you this morning that you would, by your spirit, help us to understand it and help us to apply it and live by it and be encouraged today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, please be seated. I wonder, uh, how many of you have ever lived in a foreign country? Anybody? How many of you ever been to a foreign country? Yeah? How many of you would like to go to a foreign country? Yeah? Uh, we would all like to be going to a foreign country these days, uh, and uh, it's always a fun experience. If you've ever lived or visited uh, a foreign country, you know that in every land and in every place, there are different customs, right? And you need to understand these often uh, in order to function when you are there. And so, and in our day and age, uh, popular wisdom and general graciousness is, uh, it's, it's, it's considered gracious and to know the customs and try to live as best we can by them when we're visiting somebody else's place. Now, I've personally lived in four countries in my life. Uh, obviously, I've lived in the U.S., right? And I have lived in Nairobi, Kenya, and I have lived in London, England, and I have lived in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> my apologies if you are from New Jersey for a whole lot of reasons. But uh, no, for me, it was, the, uh, it was a hard transition for an eight-year-old to go from, uh, from the deep south to New Jersey. It was the longest nine months of my life. Um, but when my family was going to move to Kenya, my parents tried to prepare us for the various differences that we would face when we got there. There are some basic things that we needed to learn. And so I'm going to teach you the most important piece of uh, uh, language skills that you will need when going to an uh, East Africa country where they speak Swahili. So uh, repeat after me. Cho, Cho. Kiko, Kiko, Wapi. So say it with me. Cho, Kiko, Wapi. Cho, Kiko, Wapi. All right, now you are prepared to ask, where is the toilet in Nairobi? really one of the most important things. My dad would send a list to my friends when we would go visit him in college, and he would send a list of phrases that everybody needed to learn, and this one was at the very top, And um, because it's true. You know, whenever we move to a new country or visit, we need to find out how to ask where the bathroom is, uh, where to buy groceries or gas. Uh, it's odd enough that we have to figure out what to do with our hands. Um, you know, if you are in Eastern cultures, you don't use your hand to shake hands, you, you bow, right? And Germany, apparently, it's rude to be talking to somebody with your hands in your pockets. Um, and in Nairobi, uh, how you shake hands matters. Like, uh, you don't shake hands with two hands because that's too intimate. Uh, women will shake hands with men by putting their arm like this. Or, it, say, a priest would shake the bishop's hand like this to uh, show a sign of submission or acknowledging authority. I mean, there's so many ways to shake hands in Nairobi, Kenya. It's like you're calling for a fastball from the Atlanta Braves pitcher. Um, you know what? Every country, every foreign country has foreign practices. And in all of those that I just listed, and so many more, there is no question of conscience for us as visitors. I can do all of those things without uh, violating any physical, social, or finding any physical, social, spiritual problems at all. But what happens when you go to a country or a foreign land and you encounter cultural practices that have spiritual problems? 
That's what's happening in the life of Daniel this morning. Daniel is living in a foreign land. So if you've been with us, uh, let me catch, or if you haven't been with us, let me catch us up where we are in our sermon series, His Story. We've been looking at the Old Testament this entire fall uh, and looking at basically two things, God's relationship to his people and the people's relationship to God. And basically what's happened is this, uh, the relationship of God's people to God has been generally inconsistent. It is occasionally faithful, but mostly unfaithful. And God's relationship with his, or uh, God's relationship with his people has been consistently faithful to them. He's always been there for them. He's uh, remained faithful to his people, to his covenant, and to his promises. Now, there is a consequence in the covenant that God has made with his people. And the Jewish people are now living out the consequences of their infidelity. And so if you were here last week, Laura, Deacon Laura, preached that Israel as a nation had been sacked. The temple, the place where God's presence dwelled and the people went to worship him, has been destroyed. The the city of Jerusalem lays in ruins and the people have been taken into captivity in exile in Babylon. And this is where we find Daniel. Daniel is living in a foreign land. Not only is he in captivity and is not free to do as he determines, he lives in a foreign land with foreign people, foreign customs, and different rules. And all of these pose a challenge to God's people who are living in exile. Can they live faithfully in the midst of the land? Can Daniel be faithful to God? This is the question for today. And so as we look at Daniel chapter 6, which is in your bulletin, and some of it will be on your screens, let's observe what it's like to live in a foreign land. And so as we look at his life, it might also be good for you and me to consider what it's like for us, what it's showing us about living in our land, in our world, in this day and age. So by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel has been living in captivity in Babylon for nearly 65 years. He was taken as a teenager from Jerusalem to Babylon. The then king Nebuchadnezzar had collected the brightest young men and brought him into his court and trained them to serve him as king. And Daniel is one of those young men. And now if you look at chapter uh, 6, verse 3, we find that Daniel has become distinguished above all the other high officials in Babylon because an excellent spirit was in him. So in all of his years in captivity, Daniel has remained faithful and committed to God throughout the time. And we see this because God's excellent spirit That's the spirit that's in Daniel. God's excellent spirit is in him. I think it's worth noting here that when the spirit of God is in you as Christians, is at work in you, he will often bring you to places and certainly give you opportunities to be of influence. Not for your glory, but for God's. I mean, just look at this whole story. In the beginning, Daniel is about to be made basically the uh, prime minister of Babylon. He's about to be the second in charge next to King Darius. 
And at the end of it, after all of the story, after the trap and the lion's den and the re, uh, God protecting him, in the end, Darius is now giving glory to God, right? He's writing this decree that God is God, or Daniel's God is the God who saves. So if God's spirit is at work in you, he's going to give you opportunities of perhaps power, but certainly influence in order to bring glory to his name. And so we read uh, there in, uh, in, in verse 3, the king planned to promote Daniel and set him over the whole kingdom, which is simply proof of this, friends. You do not have to compromise your life of faith in order to succeed in this world. That's a lie the enemy teaches us, that you have to compromise your faith and your actions in order to succeed, and it's just not true. Daniel proves this to us. Will it always be easy? No, it wasn't for Daniel, in fact. Daniel faces real challenges. What is the world that Daniel is living in? It is, in fact, a dangerous world. Daniel faces danger because that world was against him. In verse 4, we see this. The other officials, they were jealous. So there are these bunch of officials who were serving the king, and they were set over little parts of his government. But Daniel was being elevated to number one. Number one above all of them. And they were jealous of his power, and they looked for some basis to bring a complaint against Daniel with regards to the kingdom. Basically, they wanted to look at the law of the land and see if they could uh, find a reason to accuse Daniel so that they could have his power instead of Daniel. It is a dangerous world, but as much as they tried, they could not find ground because he was faithful. Daniel was faithful, and no fault was found in him. In one sense, this illustrates the age-old truth. Friends, if you have nothing to hide, you have what? Nothing to worry about, right? Daniel lived his life in such a way that he had nothing to hide, and therefore he had nothing to worry about. Now, despite this, he does, in fact, uh, they aren't... Uh, you know, they aren't resigned just to let this go. They decide that they're going to try to find a way to entrap Daniel with regards to the law of God, which Daniel follows. In this, Daniel faces real danger. So basically, the story goes, they convinced the king in verse 7 to pass an irrevocable law that anyone who petitions any other god besides the king for 30 days will be thrown into the lion's den. It is here in this dangerous world that Daniel faces a real dilemma. See, they're laying a trap for him. They know that he worships God every day, three times a day, that he kneels in his room with his window open to Jerusalem, which was the Jewish custom, to look towards Jerusalem if you were away and pray towards where God dwells. They knew it. So they're laying a trap for him. So they, uh, they, the king passes this decree... And now Daniel must seemingly either violate the customs of his faith or face death in the lion's den. Will he stop worshiping God in the face of the king's decree? And of course, he doesn't. Friends, you and I, we face similar dilemmas all the time. You're like, well, there's no lion's den. Well, Peter writes that our enemy, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion trying to find someone to devour. We, too, face the lion's den. We have to make decisions all the time that might compromise our faith. Have you ever told a little white lie 
to cover up the fact that you didn't quite do what you said you would do at work in order to save face? Have you ever been at school and told the teacher that your dog ate your homework? Or some other excuse for why you cannot present it other than the fact that you didn't do what you're supposed to do? Have you ever reneged on a financial commitment because you decided you wanted to spend some money on something else? Have you ever opted for something besides worshiping the Lord on a Sunday? That's the great cultural practice we face. There are a hundred other things that are just as good. It doesn't matter whether you go to church or not. You can go out on the boat. You can go do your work. You can live your life a leisure. You can go have your kids play sports. You know what? Worship of the Lord is meant to come first. And our culture and our world presents a danger to our faith. And it is a dilemma that we all face. You and I, we face the danger of these dilemmas all the time. And here's the reason why. You ready? It is this, that you and I, we too, live in a foreign land. Now, you might be uh, quoting the guy from uh, different strokes. What are you talking about, Willis? Uh, when... It doesn't seem right. We don't live in a foreign land. I mean, almost all of us, except maybe Alan, right? You're, uh, uh, Alan's from England, that's why. You know, uh, We all live in America. This is not a foreign land to us. But here's the thing, is that when Jesus, he burst on the scene, he, in the first king, he, the first Christmas, he comes into our world. He brings the kingdom of God down to the kingdom of the world. And basically, by faith, he invites us to follow him so that we are no longer residents of this world, but we are citizens of his world. You are citizens of heaven if you have put your faith in Jesus. Where you once knew sin, you now know forgiveness. Where you once were alone and isolated, you were made part of a family of God. Where you once faced death, you now face life. Sin, isolation, and death, those characterize the kingdom of the world. And in faith, that is not the kingdom you live in. That is not the, your, the place that you are a citizen of. We may, li- sorry, we may live in that world, but we are not citizens of the world. The Apostle Paul puts it brilliantly uh, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He says in Philippians plainly, our citizenship is in heaven. Today, friends, if you are a Christian, you too live in a foreign land. It doesn't matter which of the world's 195 countries that you put your feet down in, you are a foreigner in all of them. And just like Daniel living in Babylon, you face dangers and dilemmas to your spiritual life in their practices. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples in the gospel passage this morning. Following Jesus will have its dangers in worldly opposition. He says in verse 12, they will lay down, they will, he's speaking to his disciples, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will brought me before kings and governors. For my name's sake, and in that, this will be your opportunity to bear witness 
to his glory, to Jesus Christ. You see, following Jesus has its dangers for us. How will you live faithfully in this foreign land? What is the secret? Daniel, he shows us the secret to living faithfully in the foreign land. And here it is. You ready? The secret for living faithfully in a foreign land, the secret for living faithfully in your life is this, worship and prayer. Jonathan Edwards, the great, uh, uh, the great theologian, explains the choice this way. If man does not give his highest respect to the God that made him, there will be something else that has the possession of it. Excuse me, has the possession of it. Men will either worship the true God or some idol. It is impossible it should be otherwise. Something will have the heart of man, and that which a man gives his heart to shall be called his God. David chooses every day of his life, despite facing challenges and local practices, to give his highest respect, to give his heart, to give his time to God in worship. He goes to his room and he kneels before the Lord three times a day in prayer. Daniel's life, it's characterized by prayer. He is able to face all of the real dangers and real dilemmas of life because he has a habit and practice of prayer. And it's there in verse 10. It's so clear. Even though he knew the threats of the day, his response was not to act as if they don't exist, was not to manipulate them, not to hide from them, not to worry about them, and was certainly not to give in to them. His response, knowing that the law had been passed, was to go and do the very thing the law prohibited. Why? Because he did it every day, three times a day, for 65 years. And during that whole time, if you read Daniel 1 through 5, you will see, just like as we've read the Old Testament this fall, you see that when people are faithful to God, God takes care of them. The moral of this story is the message of the book of Daniel is this, remain faithful and God will take care of you. And so Daniel, having formed a habit of prayer, a habit of worship, trust in the God who does redeem. And this is what happens. He got down on his knees, verse 10, three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. Friends, I wonder this morning, what would your life look like if you had this habit of prayer? Not just prayer on Sunday morning for this hour and 10 minutes or so, but regular, daily devoted prayer would you have more confidence in the gospel would you have more peace would you have uh, a greater ability to be faithful would you have more joy see regular prayer reminds us that we have a god who saves daniel prayed and gave thanks what do you what do you think he got down on his knees and gave thanks for well i imagine that it is that god was with him I imagine that uh, it was that God had been protecting the Israelites throughout their time in exile. He had protected, if you go back in the story, his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. That God was faithful. He got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks. Because prayer, it does so much. As one uh, preacher once said, worship or prayer has the power to disinfect us from egotism. 
it has a way to lower our own view of ourself and elevate God, our view of God. That's what Basil the Great, one of the great saints of the church, said this. He said that our physical character of prayer reminds us of the spiritual truths of the gospel. He said, every time we fall on our knees in prayer and rise off of them, we show that by the very deed, that by our sin we fell down to earth, and by the loving kindness of our Creator, we were called back up to heaven. Have you ever thought about that? When you get down on your knees, you are basically saying before God, look, I am lower than you. And I look up and I look up and I see the cross and I'm reminded that my Savior, though he is great, he lowered himself to the cross so that he could raise me up to new life. And the very act of getting up off my knees is a sign of new life in me. See, prayer orders our believing. And Daniel, the way he's able to face any challenges is that he has a posture in his life towards the God who saves. And so that when he faces this challenge, that challenge, or the next challenge, he knows and is reminded fully that it is God who saves. Friends, if you are in need of living more faithfully, if you want to live in Christ more confidently, if you want to live more joyfully in the face of a challenging world, then it is by a life of prayer, by cultivating this life of prayer, that you will find prospering in the gospel. It's how you live faithfully in this foreign land. And so there are several things that we might find uh, relevant in today's message this morning. Three kind of takeaways. There are kind of a variety of them. First is this. Are you living in this world as if it is the only thing that exists? It's the only thing that's here. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Are you living as if this world is your home? Jesus has come to give you a new home. He's come to give you a new hope and a new future. He's not left you in the lion's den alone, but he sends his angels to guard you and protect you and to call you to him. Second, perhaps you are living by the customs of this world and you're finding your way difficult. Perhaps it's time to live by the ways and the customs of the world in which you're a citizen, which is in heaven. One the theologian observed this, that our problem as Christians is that we often worship our work and we work at our play and we play at our worship. We worship our work we work hard at playing, and we just play at worship. Perhaps it's time to really work at our worship. To really give God our first efforts in prayer and worship, both in this place on Sundays and in our homes on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday too. Third, have you developed 
the habit of daily personal prayer. The season of Advent is an incredible season of preparation and prayer to celebrate the coming of Christ. Jesus wants to live in your life more and more every day. And one way in which you invite him in is that you kneel in your house and pray. You kneel with your wife or your friends and pray. You kneel with your family. You order your life by worship. And I invite you to, uh, we're going to in a few minutes announce this, but we have an Advent guide and it kind of gives you a day-by-day way in which to look at God's Word and ways to pray. Perhaps this is the season that you develop the habit of prayer and worship. Because it is that. It is that. That is the secret by which we live in a foreign land. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you and your Father do not leave us alone, that you are the God who saves and you are the God who gives us ability to live in this world for you. I pray that you would help us to put our trust in you and to live with you and to live for you and that we might find encouragement and strength and power for the life that we lead. In Jesus' name, amen.